I read a story this week of a children's minister who had gathered the kids together on Sunday morning, and she said, this morning, I'm going to name something, and you act it out. So the kids are all gathered around, and she started with the word chicken. And of course, that set all the kids to squawking about and flapping their arms. Next was an elephant. You can only imagine what that looked and sounded like. Then was a football player, and then a ballerina. Kids are acting out all of these things and giving the appropriate noises. The last word that she used was Jesus. She said the kids got kind of quiet, looked at one another, and then one of the boys had a stroke of genius. He stood before the congregation, threw his arms wide open, and gave everyone just a huge smile. And the congregation applauded his effort. I thought, that fits so well. The content of this morning's sermon, this, this sermon is, is what I have called before a, a tweener sermon. That's because it comes between two things. Last Sunday, we, uh, we finished up our, our Hebrews 11 series on faith, on trust in God. Next Sunday, Lee is going to, uh, to bring a message. I'm going to be uh, running around, hopefully watching my son play soccer over the course of the weekend. And so this morning's sermon comes between those two things. It's, it's not tied to anything before or after. And as I have been praying over the course of the last couple of weeks, it seemed to me that, that the Spirit brought these verses to mind Rachel, can we put those first verses from Ephesians 5 on the screen? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. My friends, that is a arm's wide-open posture that God calls each and every one of his people to live. And I, I have to be honest, as, as I felt like the Spirit was, was really putting this on my heart, there was some hesitation on my part because those of you who have been around me long enough know that love for one another and life together as God's people is near and dear to my heart. It's something that I have that I have taught on several times in my years at Applewood. But I'm just going to do away with that hesitation, and I'm going to bring it on this morning. And I think that there are a couple of really compelling reasons for why, why I think this message is, is so important, and I'm grateful for, for God's leading in it throughout the course of this week. The first one is love for one another which is what the Ephesians 5 context is, and we'll look at that more closely in a few minutes together. Love for one another is of paramount importance in terms of our witness for Jesus in the world. Which, by the way, as we know, that's the reason why we are here. As God's people whose lives have been transformed by His amazing grace... We remain in this life for the purpose of calling attention to Him. 
of living lives in a way that point to him. And all along, you thought it was about yourself, right? I know. I I live that way too. It is about him. Can we put John 13, 34, and 35 up, Rachel? We know these verses. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Oh, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The reason, again, that we are here is so that we will be a witness for Jesus in the world and that witness for, the, for Jesus never gets any easier. Our lives are full and they're busy and, and there are increasing signs of, of pressure and dislike towards those who identify themselves as followers of Jesus. And yet Jesus knew that when he said these words to his followers. By this, the world will know that you are my followers by the way that you love one another. It was for me, summer of 1977, summer between my second and third year in college, and I read what is probably the shortest work of Francis Schaeffer, that, uh, at least that we know about, a little book. It was actually originally an addendum to a larger piece that he had written. It's called The Mark of the Christian. And referring to these words that Jesus has spoken to his followers, Schaefer says that love for one another is the mark of the Christian. It's not just a mark of the Christian. It is the identifying mark of the Christian, which, which right away should sort of clue us into the idea that, that maybe there's more going on in these words of Jesus than we might initially think. You know, do I love God's people? Oh, sure, I love God's people. I love pizza. I love football. I love biking. I love God's people. It's a cheap, stinking cheap word in our society. There is something more going on in these words of Jesus. It is the mark, says Schaefer. He writes this. It is possible to be a Christian without showing the mark. But if we expect non-Christians to know that we are Christians, we must show the mark. In other words, the way we love one another will identify us as followers of Jesus like nothing else does. And when Jesus spoke these words to his followers... He was not saying it in a cautious sort of way. You know, if, if you love one another, the world's going to know that you're my followers, so, so be careful in how you show it. That's not the sentiment in his words. He wanted them. He wanted us to be known as his people. Schaefer puts it this way. Love and the unity it attests to is the mark Christ gave Christians to wear before the world. Only with this mark may the world know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father. And so for me, love for one another is is absolutely essential to our witness for Jesus, a compelling reason to be reminded of 
the truth from this text in Ephesians. There's a second compelling reason. This is probably an obvious one, but I think just as important. It is commanded and expected by God. Frankly, I think if we're willing to to love one another in the way that God calls us to, we put ourselves in a position to be blessed in ways that we cannot even imagine. Because to love the way that God loves us, to love that way and to express that and live that love with one another involves us to a depth in one another's lives that opens us up to the possibilities of relationship that we haven't experienced. It's it's a love that goes below the surface. This is not a I love pizza love. This is I love you for who you are and for what God is doing in your life regardless of what I think or what you think of me. I love you you, because that is what God has called me to, that kind of love. So when we love one another in the way that God calls us to, I think we open our lives to to blessings that we haven't considered, but, 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 it takes being very intentional. It requires work on our part and a willingness to to open our hearts to one another in the same way that that God opened his heart to us. So our love for one another should, should model God's love for us. And when we love one another as God has loved us, the witness for Jesus is most powerful, which takes us back to that first compelling reason, witness for Jesus is most clearly known by the way God's people love one another. So witness for Jesus and obediently loving one another as God has loved us are are two sides of the same coin. When it's happening, Jesus says, those who watch our lives, and people do watch our lives, it witnesses to the presence of God in our midst. Powerful stuff. So just before we read the fuller text in Ephesians, let me give you just some of the immediate context surrounding those two verses that that were on the screen. First of all, Paul is reminding the Ephesian believers, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you hear the intentionality in those verses? This is not something that just happens by accident. Paul is is talking about the miracle of God's redemption. As God changes our lives, we need to be thinking and intentional about what God has done and then purposefully striving to, to live into that new creation. Created to be like God in true righteousness And holiness, that's a very important statement. Have you ever thought about that? In our salvation, we have been transformed. It's the truth of Paul's words to the Corinthians 
when he talks about the old has passed away and the new has come, all things have become new, it is a spiritual recreation to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God comes into our lives and by the power of his Holy Spirit, he changes us and gives us the ability to be people that we were not, to be people that we could not be. And now suddenly there is this power source in us called the Spirit of God that enables us to live out these commands. And as God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God, three in one, as God lives that, first of all, in relationship together, as as the Father, Son, and Spirit live in relationship with one another, in community together, that's our model. So we are called to live that same way. And our first priority is in relationship with one another. I think as, as humans, maybe, maybe even more so as, as, as Americans, we tend to make salvation a very individual thing. In fact, it's even, it's private. You know, there are some folks that, that just don't want to talk about their faith because it's so private. You just don't find that in Scripture. It's a very truncated view of, of the nature of salvation it, it finds no support biblically. Salvation is a death to our old way of life, which was a life for self. And it's a recreation for a new life. It's a spirit-directed life together that declares the communal nature of God to our world. You know, you only need to read through the Gospels and, and, and see Jesus as he interweaves his life together with his disciples and, and, and watch those yahoos as they learn to, to, to love one another and live together and appreciate one another's differences. This is hard work. And quite frankly, we'd rather not do it because of what it, it, it calls forth from us. What it, what it takes, what it requires. So important, though, that we remember that, that salvation is not this individual thing. Yes, we, we are saved as individuals, but we are saved from living a life of service to self into something greater. It's called the body of Christ. And, and everything that you read about salvation that's written in the letters to the churches in the New Testament... It's always plural. It's living out life together. It's loving one another. That's hard to do when you're not with one another. You know, be patient with one another. Encourage one another. Forgive one another. You get the picture. It's just one another everywhere. So we're individuals and we, we cheat, I think, the richness of salvation when we see it as something that I can just do privately. It's just me and God. No biblical support for that perspective. Okay, so that's just a a bit of of not only Paul's words, but I think also a part of his thinking uh, that's in the context of 
those, uh, those first couple of verses that we read together. We're going to read those again and a few more verses from Ephesians 4 through uh, the first couple of verses of chapter 5. Let's stand together and let's read this text <clears throat> together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. That's quite a text. And there is a whole lot more there than what we're going to deal with in just a few short minutes together. A lot of particular exhortations. Wow. Not allowing unwholesome talk to come from our mouths. Getting rid of bitterness and anger and slander. Being kind and compassionate, forgiving one another. Again, couched in, in, the, in the one another's, couched in the assumption that God's people are living this journey together and that, that they are making a priority of sharing life together. And no doubt, these are probably some of the particular things that the Ephesian believers were struggling with. Oftentimes, we, we understand the letters of the New Testament as a response to perhaps a letter that was written to Paul, or word had gotten to Paul that the Ephesians are struggling with some particular things. And so, so many times when we read particulars like that, it's a response to something that he has heard and, and wants to to address. Same is true for us. Those kinds of things as they settle into our lives, what is our response? Can we put the next one up, Rachel? Back to where we started. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And and notice the, the assumption is that you can do this. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> you can do this. You know, Paul's just, he's not allowing any wiggle room for the butts. But what about this or what about that? What about this person? What about that person? No. Just follow God's example. As dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So, here's what I want you to discuss with a neighbor for a couple of minutes. Kind of a uh, two-pronged question. Why and how does God love us? Seems simple enough, doesn't it? Why and how does God love us? 
See what your neighbor thinks. A couple of minutes. All right, it's getting a little quieter in here. Someone said these are easy. Okay. What do you think? What did your neighbor say? God is love. Where is that written? Okay. God is love. So what does that answer? The why. Okay. So what's, what's lacking in that? Is, is, there, is there a piece missing in that in terms of how we may think of God's love and why he loves us? I mean, I think there is. Uh, that's what I thought about you too, Lee. Yeah. That you are so completely unlovable. <laughs> Why does God love us? You know, just, just repeat to yourself as often as you have to, loudly and clearly. It's not because I'm so cute. It's not because of my potential. It's not because of this or because of that. It's because of Him. God loves us because God is love and He chooses to place His love upon us. Wow. Altogether? Wow. Yeah. That needs to characterize our lives perhaps a little more often than it does. Okay. So, how? How does God love us? What would you say about that one? Okay. Want to add to that? What else? Times he has tough love. Yeah. And, and, and where does the tough love come from, Mike? What do you think? His love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. I, I've sung that recently. Does that ring a bell with you? Oh. Not letting us settle for good when he has what is best. It's, it's that idea of we're, we're, we're made for God. We're made for God. And, and he knows that what is best for us is him. So, anything else? I see that hand back there. Sacrificial. Okay. Sacrificial. Boy, that is such a scary word. Sacrificial. It's important that we understand that, that love in the Scripture is always defined and demonstrated. When it's, when it's talking about God, it's defined and demonstrated by action. Love is never simply words when it comes to God's love in Scripture. It is action. Do we know John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. There's the action. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 4.9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and, and only son. John says God is love. He says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, so love is demonstrated in action. And I'm with Allie. Sacrificial 
action. It's, it's done for the sake of another. And it seems to me that must be our starting point in understanding the significance of this text. If, if we make love anything other than action that is demonstrated toward others for their sake, for their good, then we miss the point. You ever do that? You ever love people for ulterior motives? No, that's never happened. When we do that, we're not loving as God has loved us. And there's great potential for ruining the witness in our lives and our relationships of who Jesus is. Because when Jesus said that to his followers, the world is going to know by the way that you love one another that you are my followers. He had his love in mind, not theirs, not ours, not, not mine. And so to understand what, what love really is, I think sets us up to understand what, what Paul means when he writes, follow God's example Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Follow God's example. Some translations render that as be imitators of God. That's because the Greek word that is used in that sentence for follow is the root of our English word mimic, to copy. Paul is instructing us to mimic God, to copy God in the way that we love one another. So some of those descriptions that we shared about how God loves us, plug those in right here. How are we supposed to love one another? The same way that God loves us. Every way in which we know God loves us, Paul is saying that's how we are to love one another. And remember, I've said it plenty, I'm sorry, our witness to Jesus in the world is at stake. We are smart enough to know that we're supposed to love one another, but, but in our culture, love is indeed so cheap. Love is selfish, and way too often love is more, nothing more than just sentimental words. This phrase, follow God's example and walk in the way of love, defines for us how we are to love one another just as God has loved us. He loved us with great sacrifice and he did it with the intention to bless us with himself. So when Paul writes, do this as dearly loved children, what is our motivation for loving one another? God's great sacrificial love that didn't just save us, but brought us into his family, adopted us as his children, Paul said to the Romans. So tell me again, what were the reasons that that God loves us? Because we're charming? Because we're wonderful? Because we're politically correct? Because we have money. We have lots of potential. We did something. Surely we did something to deserve his love. 
None of the above. He loved us because he loves us. And because he chooses to love us, he gave himself to us. And that required a sacrifice on his part. Can you imagine? This is silly. But I sometimes find myself wondering what the angels and the inhabitants of heaven must have thought of his plan of salvation. How ridiculous is that? You're going to do what to save them? And then he adopted us. It wasn't just enough to, to save us, but made us his kids, co-heirs with Christ. So I think Paul's point is, is something like this. If God did all of this for us, who in our sinful nature stood for everything that God is not, then we must love one another. If we really understand what God has done for us, then we will. God's sacrificial and adopting love is our motivation for loving others with the same abandon that he loved us. Why wouldn't we give to them what God has given to us? Only if we really don't understand what he hasn't would be the reason why we don't. And then, just to make sure that we're clear about what he means to remove any doubt that we might have, Paul adds those words, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Brothers and sisters, think back to that, that, that little boy who, who opened his arms wide. Big smile on his face. I think that that is an amazing image of the love of God for us. Made, made real and, and made life-changing through the flesh and blood of his Son. That is the image that God intends for us as his people to live out. He intends for us to live with one another with arms wide open. Are your arms wide open to one another? Do you even know one another? That is the kind of love that God calls us to. I think the reality is that we can talk about loving one another and the importance of loving one another till the cows come home. But until we take seriously the expectation of God that, that we, his people, will love one another with sacrificial action until God's people take that with utmost seriousness, the church, certainly Applewood, the larger church, the larger body of Christ, will forfeit its most powerful form of witness to who Jesus is. It's interesting to me that there is much that we see and hear in Christian circles about meetings for this and meetings for that, training for this and training for that, 
and and sometimes there are there are meetings that are planned to 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 bring witness and power to the church. I know I'm being a little negative here, but it seems to me the church has the power that it needs in the presence of God's Spirit indwelling all those who are really His people. And what the Spirit has done is come into our lives to give us the ability to live out what has happened through Christ on the cross. Death to the old self, life to the new. We have all the power that we need to be witnesses for Jesus, to be transforming the lives of those who look at us, not through our words, not through our songs, not through our programs, as wonderful and fun as all those things are. When people start seeing God's people loving one another as God has loved them, they go, wow, that's not like anything I've ever seen before. Well, it, it has to be like nothing that they've never seen before because it's what the Spirit of God does. And he only does that in the lives of those who are his people. It's what we have been recreated in Christ to do. And here's the reality. It's time-consuming. It's costly. It's, it's tiring. <laughs> it, it's rarely, if ever, convenient. It's what God calls us to. To somehow in the midst of our busy lives, and, and we are busy people, to understand that when we don't make it a priority to better love one another the way that God has loved us, we are sacrificing our witness. Those who watch our lives don't see Jesus lived out powerfully in our midst. And so I I would end this morning with the question, how are we doing in this? How am I doing? How are you doing? It seems to me that that the starting point for this is is that we we would take this back to the places where we meet with God and open our hearts to Him and say, do I need to be better at this? This, this family of believers that I call Applewood Community Church, how am I loving them? God, how, how am I doing? How am I demonstrating your love in my life to them so that Jesus can be known? It is God's Spirit who responds to that and then illuminates for us the truth and empowers us to live into it. And with this I close. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, wrote this. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly 
broken. If you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safely in the casket of your selfishness. And in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will not change. It will not be broken. It will become, in fact, unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell. Let's pray. Father, I speak these words and as I hear them come from my mouth, I recognize that there are many times when I love for the wrong reasons to be thought well of, to be considered a a good and faithful pastor, to have people say nice things about me. I confess that as just rubbish. And I pray that for myself and for my brothers and sisters in this place that we would recognize the the import of what your word is saying to us this morning. That love is sacrifice. Love to be like you is always action. Words are cheap. You call us to be a people who give of ourselves for the sake of one another to bless and encourage and to strengthen because that is how you have loved and will always love us. So we pray that we will be a people who are open to your spirit serious about obedience and willing to sacrifice for the sake of one another, most importantly, so that the Lord Jesus, whom we claim to know and love, will be seen clearly in the life that we live together. We ask in his name. Amen.